Um, so I've been excited about this entire conference, but this is one, uh, this session in particular has been one that I've been, I mean, I've been looking forward to. I think we locked this one up. This was like the first thing. We said, I don't know what else we'll do, but let's make sure we do this session. And so it's been about six months um, that we've been thinking about this and just kind of looking forward to it. So um, I, don't know if, I don't know how, how many marriage books you, you've read, um, but one that many of us have uh, is a book called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And the tagline of that is, what if God intended marriage to make us holy more than happy? And that, that's just a phrase that has resonated here at Watermark. It's been a phrase that's helped Pam and I immensely. It's been a, a phrase that, um, that's helped many that I know. There's also some, the other side of that is, what if, what if God really was up to more about kind of companionship and, and happiness? And so uh, I've seen two guys kind of uh, pitted against each other in the public square, not, not by them, but, but by people who follow them. And I thought, it'd be really fun to get them on the same platform and let them duke it out uh, in front of us, okay? And so uh, in a second, uh, we're going to call out Gary Thomas. And then followed uh, by Gary will be Ted Cunningham. And he wrote a book. uh, He's written um, kind of many books, but one of them is called Fun Loving You. And so Gary's going to talk about um, what this idea about uh, marriage is, is holiness, and Ted's going to talk about uh, this idea of marriage as companionship. Uh, and then we'll kind of have some thoughts. Both are really important, uh, but we'll kind of see which one uh, wins the day. So um, very, few guys, very few guys in my life uh, have their writings impacted me the way uh, Gary's have. He's a man who really knows God's Word and has an, an amazing ability to make it uh, simple and understandable. And we're deep, deeply, deeply grateful for him. He's now blogging about marriage. If you, don't, uh, if you haven't followed him, I just encourage you to do so. Every day there's just some really great insights there. Um, but I don't want to take up any more of his time. If you guys would, please put your hands together and welcome Gary Thomas. Well, I think there's a little bit God's sense of humor. On Monday and Tuesday, Focus on the Family ran a program on my book, Pure Pleasure. Somebody critiqued it. Obviously, Gary hasn't heard about calls to sacrifice and discipleship. And here I am on Wednesday talking holiness over happiness. But uh, that's the way we go. So let, let me put this debate in context. Sacred Marriage was written in the late 90s. It was published in 2000. And I wrote it as a spiritual formation book. I think a lifelong love that you got for free here really is a marriage book. Sacred marriage is more of a spiritual formation book. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Most spiritual formation books at the time were talking about a celibate view of spirituality. I saw God using my marriage to challenge me to help me grow in holiness like few other things I'd, I'd ever seen. And the marriage books at that time seemed to me a little bit over-promising. Apply these five principles, take these steps, trust Jesus, and you could have the happiest marriage. And it was seen on the cover. They were always smiling couples and happy couples. And, and I wasn't sure they were dealing honestly that even the best of marriages can be considered difficult marriages at times. And, and, and so when I knew this was coming up, I was in Idaho. I was speaking to a thousand people, 500 couples. And so I had them all stand up. I just wanted to deal with this once for all. I said, I want you to remain standing, 500 couples, remain standing if your marriage is easier than you thought it would be. Five couples were left standing. But it was actually less than that because another couple came back to my book table later and they said, Gary, we have a confession to make. I said, what's that? We were one of the couples standing up. I said, Ann, we've only been married for 10 days. (laughs) So a little bit less than 1% were admittedly um, facing that. 
But in one sense, I, I really believe, and I, I know Ted agrees with this, it's a false dichotomy to, a, to pit holiness against happiness. I love the way that John Wesley puts this when he says this, it is impossible to be happy without also being holy. Show me a man driven by his anger who's truly happy, driven by an addiction. Show me a woman who's a narcissist or a materialist, can never be pleased. She's not living a happy life. She'll have moments of gaiety, but she's not truly happy. As for the Arminians, for the reformed Thomas Brooks, man's holiness is now his greatest happiness. And in heaven, man's greatest happiness will be his perfect holiness. In a lifelong love, I centered around Matthew 6.33 in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and what? And his righteousness. And for me, that's such a practical verse on marriage for this reason. If I'm earnestly seeking first the righteousness of Christ, I'm dying to the things that destroy marital intimacy. I'm dying to unrighteous anger. I'm dying to be impatient. I'm dying to be proud to my pride. And I'm pursuing the Christ-like qualities that serve intimacy, gentleness, patience, kindness, courage, and self-control. And I've been telling men around the country, men, it is very difficult for women to be intimate with you when you're always so angry or you're so arrogant that you're the center of everybody's world. And I'll say, women, it's very difficult for a man to be intimate with a woman who's so fearful or anxious or a narcissist. And so by pursuing the righteousness of Christ, we actually become more and more people that can enjoy a happy marriage. But holiness is the doorway, I believe, to that happiness. And yet when you look at scriptural calls, this is why I'm happy to, to take this side, holiness is given the priority, in large part, again, because I think it's the gateway to happiness. In two of Jesus' most important teachings, the Sermon on the Mount and the Great Commission, he ends both with calls to obedience. He gives this incredible teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and then he ends with this in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine, and what? obeys them and does them will be blessed and in the great commission his last words to disciples he, he tells them i want you to make disciples of all nation, nations teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and you put that with matthew six thirty three in the heart of the sermon on the mount seek first his righteousness there are clear scriptural priorities that the christian life is a life of active pursuit of being transformed of holiness of excelling in love and all of the biblical writers take this peter in second peter 1 3 through 8 says this make every effort not some not after you've tried everything else by the way if you've got a little bit of strength or time left over peter says make every effort to add to your faith and he lists a number of virtues and then says in verse 8 that you may have these with increasing measure we never corner the market of these virtues that we're to add. They're to be with increasing measure. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul, to round it out. We've got Peter, now we've got Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. He says, let us purify ourselves. Not just from the scandalous things that would get us kicked out of being an elder or a pastor or a teacher. He says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Not just the scandalous sins, but the attitudinal sins. Perfecting holiness. That's a process. It's in the present tense. We're perfecting it 
out of reverence for God. And so I look at all of these scriptures and I see a relative silence where we're to make happiness a primary pursuit of our life. Now, I do believe these all lead to happiness, but our first concern is that we get to happiness through holiness. So since I've quoted from all traditions, let me throw in a little Eastern Orthodox there. Um, with St. Tikam when he says this, the struggle against every sin is an unfailing necessity for all Christians. This isn't just Gary Thomas. This is really the whole breadth of Christian spirituality, Christian writers, including also Jesus, Peter, and Paul. And what I began to see is that marriage is one of God's brilliant ways to help us bridge that, to help us become more like Christ, to invite Christ into our lives, to invite Christ's patience and Christ's courage and Christ's presence and Christ's love. And I should look at marriage as an opportunity to be transformed into a man who becomes more like Christ, who relies more on Christ. And I had only heard of marriage for happiness, how to make my ha marriage happier, how to make it better, how to make it more fulfilling. I do believe up until that point in the late 90s, we'd become a bit unbalanced. C.S. Lewis called us out on that in the 50s, and actually before him, G.K. Chesterton, he mentioned that this has been a debate that's not just going on in 2015. This was a debate going on in Chesterton's time. Listen to this quote. Giving romantic love this extravagant and exclusive importance to human life was itself an entirely modern and revolutionary thing and dates from the Romantic movement commonly traced to Rousseau. After that, there came the extreme form under the Victorians and Byron today under the Bachelorette and pretty much most movies coming out. But, but look at this back, uh, back and forth that Chesterton talks about. The modern world seems to have no notion of preserving different things side by side of allowing its proper and proportionate place to each. It has no notion except that of simplifying something by destroying nearly everything, whether it be Rousseau breaking up kingdoms in the name of reason, Byron breaking up families in the name of romance, Shaw breaking up romances in the name of frankness. I myself value very highly the great 19th century illumination of romantic love, just as I value the great 18th century ideal of right reason and human dignity, or the divine logic and dedicated valor of the Middle Ages. As it is, those who have no notion except that of breaking away from romance are being visibly punished by breaking away from reason. But, but here's where I don't mind admitting the difficulty. I believe every noble effort in life is difficult. I believe it's so difficult to launch a business in this day of regulation and employee issues and whatnot, but it's a glorious thing. It's a good thing to do. I believe it's very difficult to master a musical instrument. I'm not musical at all. I'm so grateful people have dedicated themselves. And so talking about intimacy between a husband and wife and, and the intimacy becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, saying, yeah, that's a difficult thing, it doesn't scare me off. To me, it's more inviting and, and admitting it. I believe leading with difficulty is good for singles. For, for this reason, too many of them, even Christian singles, think that marriage is about sharing an infatuation and love of the same movies. And, and it's not. I want them to think it's difficult because I want them to put this relationship through the grinder. I want them to say, it's, it's one thing to be infatuated. Does this person have the relational capabilities and strengths and spiritual stability to make it through marriage? And if they think marriage is easy, they're going to, well, we can do this. If they think it's difficult, 
They might be a little more sober in their evaluation saying, does this person have what it takes? I believe marriage stressing difficulty is good for married people because it affirms their experience like I found in Idaho. I'll admit I may be a little bit unbalanced just because people don't usually approach a pastor because their marriage is so good and they have sex so often and their kids are so successful they don't know how to contain themselves. But, but this is typical what I'll get. It's actually not to me, but it was a blogger, and I think she captures letters. I'll get this a couple times a week. Jennifer White said this, I said I do in 1991 with a deep love, a sense of adventure and joy that I'd been chosen. Three years later, I said I don't and I won't. I was so shocked that life could be so hard and hurt so badly only three years into marriage. Three years after the divorce, I vowed to be Mrs. David White for the rest of my life. We've been married 16 years, but five years in, I was drowning in the same deep waters that had led me to end my first marriage. Pride and fear were suffocating me. I couldn't see how this could ever be okay for either of us. She had experienced the difficulty of marriage in two places, and in both times thought there must be something wrong with our marriage. Not we're married but there must be something wrong with our marriage. And they don't realize that if marriage is difficult and you're facing difficulty in your marriage, then you say, I'm married. If I'm running uphill in Aspen and I'm breathing hard, I'm not thinking, boy, how come I'm not in shape? I'm thinking I'm running uphill in Aspen. That's, that's not an easy thing to do. Another aspect that I like about stressing the difficulty is that it teaches us an increased dependence on God. Our greatest sin is wanting to live lives independent of God in our thinking, in our allegiance, even in our dependence. And I take Ephesians 5.18 seriously when Paul says to let yourself be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And so giving five principles and you can master marriage, reading this book and you can understand how to make marriage so easy, I don't want anybody to leave a sacred marriage conference or a lifelong conference thinking they've got it down. I would much rather leave a crowd with, you need to seek God afresh, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day, than thinking because you've mastered these principles, marriage now becomes easy. Because I think life is about surrendering to Christ, making him the center of all we are. And what I love about marriage is that every day it invites us to rely on God. Because the call to husbands is so high. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. The call to wives is so high. Titus 2.4. Older women should train the younger women how to love their husbands. You should go to school to learn how to love a husband. It's, it's so high. We need God for the will, the work, to complete what he has called us to do. And finally, the problem I believe with leading with happiness is that it can feed the selfishness that suffocates a marriage. God made us for more than marriage. And, and when I'm feeling that listlessness, it's probably because I've stopped living by Matthew 6, I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm not seeking first his righteousness. So I've set up my wife as an idol. I want you to complete me. I want you to make me feel like I matter. I want you to fill up my days. And, and, and so stressing, leading with, with happiness tends to, create couples that have an expectation and an entitlement that is more uh, turned inward. The reality is, although this is a difficult passage, but the book of Hebrews said Jesus became perfect, how? Through obedience 
in the face of suffering. And when you read all of Hebrews, that's how God grows us, through difficult times, through suffering. And so if I believe marriage is difficult, and I believe I become more perfect in God's eyes, not I don't have time to give all the theology across the T's. I believe in salvation by grace through faith, but I only, I have to say it. So what I mean is that's how I'm gonna grow as well. Being faithful in suffering, being faithful in difficulty. The Bible says that's how we grow. And what does that do? It casts me back on Jesus Christ. I've been challenged by the example of Charles Spurgeon in one of the best books you could ever give to somebody going into the ministry, Lectures to My Students. It's some of the best teaching you could get. A little bit of it is outdated. He tells them how to prepare a sermon, how to deliver a sermon, how to use stories, how to use humor, what you do for the beginning, what you do for the ending. But about lecture 10 or 11, he has this, this, this phrase where he warns them. He says, look, I am wary of anything which would hinder your dependence on the Holy Spirit. He says, I've, I've given you everything I have, all of my study, all of my resources, all of my learning, but if you think you can take this learning and not need God every time you get into the pulpit, I'm, I'm not teaching you to live without God. I'm not teaching you to be an atheist. And I think the same approach we need in marriage. I want to get all the principles for conflict resolution and dealing with finances and whatnot, but I want to call all of us back to an ongoing, fresh dependence on Christ and gradually becoming more and more like Christ. I really wish I would have went first. <laughs> Are you going to sit there during this part? I, you can go. I mean, you don't have to sit there. This is a man I deeply respect and admire. Uh, I, he's part of the, what I call the Gary Trinity, Gary Chapman, Gary Smalley, Gary Thomas. And uh, so uh, in, in counseling, we use this confirmation bias theory. And confirmation bias says, you make a decision, and then you look for the evidence to back it up. And so for me, growing up, I heard the message, marriage is hard, marriage is difficult, marriage is painful. It drains you, it depletes you. And, and so you go into marriage with the decision that marriage is difficult and painful and hard and it'll be very, very painful at times, and you look for that evidence. I, I grew up in an independent, fundamental, premillennial, King James Version-only Baptist church. So, so I get holiness. I get holiness. I know what it means to be set apart. I, I went to Sunday school every single week, and I went to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We learned about how to live set-apart lives as Christians. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. Uh, I grew up in a church in a home that taught me how to honor purity but no one taught me how to honor marriage. No one taught me how to esteem marriage as highly valuable. I learned how to uh, esteem purity as highly valuable. So I made the decision, you know, from all those youth group messages that went like this, stop it, quit, wait, don't touch that, knock it off, right? I mean, this was the message and say, oh, okay. And we heard Hebrews 13, four in reverse, I don't know how many times, and it went something like this. Sex is dirty, nasty, and ugly, and you should save it for the one you love. And we go into marriage thinking a wedding fixes all of that. 
You heard the don't wait, quit, stop it, don't touch that message your entire life. You have a wedding, you walk the aisle, no one prepared you. My dad, I was walking across the parking lot of a La Quinta on the day of my wedding. And La Quinta means next to Denny's. And my, my dad asked me, he said, on the day of my wedding, he said, son, do you have any questions? I said, dad, it's a little too late. You, the messages are written on my heart. I, I have so many deep-seated beliefs about marriage and sex, and a wedding doesn't change that overnight. For the first three years of my marriage, I felt like a pervert pursuing my wife. Why? Because I had the belief on my heart that sex is dirty, nasty, and ugly, and you should save it for the one you love. I, I get the holiness message, but I, I think my sadness is I encounter pastors and church leaders all over the country are many who, who have taken sacred marriage. And the, the subtitle to them is, did God give you your spouse to make you holy or happy? And I go, no, no, you, you got to read the book. It's, it's not or, it's more than. Gary's not down on happiness. And I, I say all the time, I'm not choosing between holiness and happiness, just like I'm not choosing between truth and love. I, I'm going for both and at the same time. And, and as a pastor, this is my heart as a pastor to a small congregation in Branson, Missouri. I want them to know when it comes to the bedroom, you need a holy bedroom. The marriage bed kept pure. So I, I, I want a bedroom that is set apart from the world. The problem is a lot of people hear that our, our bedroom should look nothing like the world, so we shouldn't use words like creative and fun and playful in the bedroom. And I disagree. So that's where we come in and we begin teaching and we begin explaining. How can you have a fun bedroom that's set apart from the world? A few years ago, our church got passionate about this. We realized most Christian couples had boring sex lives. And, and we realized the best question we've ever received to date on our church website is, how often should an evangelical couple have sex? I said, compared to other world religions, I have no idea. <laughs> but I think more frequent and creative sex is good. And so, but what we found was couples weren't even talking about it. They didn't feel comfortable discussing the subject. They just learned where to have a set-apart bedroom. So we created a 52-question a sex menu. And it had 52 questions for married couples only. And at the end of the service, after we talked through the Song of Solomon chapter 4, which is the honeymoon chapter, we passed the menu out in the back with a two-hour burning candle. We told couples, we want you to go home. We want you to light this candle. We want you to let it go for two hours. And we want you to have a conversation about sex and how to make it more frequent, how to be more creative for two hours. The next week, now remember, I'm in Branson, Missouri. The next week, an Ozarkie and Bubba came up to me and said, hey, pastor. I found out you light that candle under a ceiling fan. It only takes about 45 minutes. <laughs> that wasn't the point. But the point was, we want to give you the skills. We want you to have fun. And this has become my message because so many have reacted to a good message in sacred marriage. And they believe now that it's holiness, not happiness. And and I, I think you know where this debate's going. I, I just want to bring the balance to the happiness piece. And I, I just, I'm going to ask you this. How many 
think this, the sermon goes to either the holiness or the happiness scale. And, and these are titles I picked up from churches around the country. We have titles like this, man versus wife. Are we going holiness or happiness there? How about the battle of the sexes? Right? We're already automatically setting up, there's a major problem we've got to deal with. How about happily ever after? Happily even after. Marriage is war. Gospel-shaped marriage. Grace-based marriage. And a lot of us, we move towards the, towards the crisis end and towards the difficulty and towards the pain and towards the heart. And I just want to kind of set a framework for the way in which you share holiness and happiness. I believe your spouse is your companion through the grind of life. I believe God gave you your spouse to be your companion, not the grind. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 1, 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books of the Bible, chapter 1, life is hard, chapter 12, then you die. This is how the whole book goes. Dark, pessimistic, very much fits my personality. Generations come and generations go, and Solomon paints the, the earth as a grinder. And you and I are born into this grinder for a period of time. Psalm 90 says, 70 years you have upon this earth, 80 if you're strong, but those years are filled with sorrow and anguish. In other words, life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is challenging. Work is grueling. And you're in it all the way till the end. That's chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. Eventually your body finds its way into the grind. It's difficult. It's painful. It doesn't matter how much money you make. You can't buy your way out of the grind. It doesn't matter uh, how many degrees you get. You can't outsmart the grind. You're in it to the end, but this has become my passion in life, and I believe God's given me just, he said, Ted, run with this message, make it true of your marriage, and take it out to others. And it's in the middle of uh, life is a grind, and you're in it all the way to the end. We have this beautiful nugget in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9. It says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. In other words, enjoy life. You can enjoy life in the midst of the grind. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. And verse 9, I love when it's not on the screen or there are no open Bibles. I love misquoting this in churches. And I'll say, verse 9 says, endure life with your wife. All your miserable days. And there are some churches I'm in and I'll get a, mm. It's good. It's good. And I'll have to say, that's not what it says. But that's what many of you believe, that you're just supposed to endure marriage. You're just supposed to endure life with your wife. And this scripture, I love it. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun, meaning in the midst of the grind, enjoy life with your wife. Make the decision. Boomers, you were taught in the church growing up how to divorce-proof your home. Where does divorce-proofing come from? It flows from your character. Where does the decision to enjoy life together come from? The exact same place. You make the decision to enjoy life together. You make the decision. That which could frustrate us is not going to. We're going to find ways to enjoy one another. A decision that we make. Marriage is hard, but don't lead out with that message. I understand stressing that message. Don't lead out with it. And it was two years ago that Gary called me. And it was the first phone call I ever got from Gary Thomas. So, and I'm on the phone with my wife going, it's Gary Thomas. Shh. And, you know, I wanted to make sure you know, all my kids were being perfect and everything at the time. And, <laughs> and uh, 
He, and he starts the conversation off this way. He said, Ted, I'm not really good at confrontation. I went, oh, what? We're starting off with a, a confrontation? I said, you win, you win. I don't know what I said or what I did, but you were smart, right? I, I just, I felt, but he said, you, you put out a tweet and it just, it asked pastors not to lead out with the message marriage is hard. Can you explain that to me? I said, it's the same struggle I have when we ordain my reformed friends. I have reformed, just raise your hand if you're reformed. Let me see your hands. Okay, we're glad you're here. You knew you were gonna be here, right? I mean, <laughs> we're glad you're here. But when we're ordaining one of my reformed friends, I, I, you know, and, and you get to the study of man, tell me what you believe about man. And I know what the answer is gonna be almost every time. What do you believe about man? And I'll get a, a, a passionate, man is evil. I go, okay, all right, bro, listen. I appreciate your passion for depravity. I really do. I'm there with you. I'm just going to ask, is that what you want to lead out with? Well, what would you lead out with? How about, let's go back to the beginning. Let's not start in Genesis 3. Let's go back a little further. To created in the image of God. Start your theology. Start your anthropology there. Don't start with the message, marriage is hard, it's difficult, it's painful. And I'm telling you, this is the message that has come out of the holiness, not happiness movement. God did not give you your spouse, because some people believe this, to beat you down and suck the life out of you so you can be more like Jesus. That is not the marriage message. Don't choose between holiness and happiness. Go for both. But watch this. Here's where I concede. Go for both, but prioritize holiness over happiness. I, I love Ecclesiastes 7. I, I use 7, 1 through 4 at every funeral. I had one this past Friday. I have, I'm going back to another one this Friday. And I start with chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. For it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. When we go to a funeral, it changes us. It prioritizes life. We ask all the right questions. I don't walk out of a comedy club going, that changed my life. I'll never be the same. But when I leave a funeral, I leave changed because I'm asking the right questions. Solomon here is not saying that laughter is bad. A cheerful heart is good medicine. You can have fun. You can enjoy life. And as I tell the guys in our church all the time, you'll find out most of my illustrations fit the Ozarks. But I tell them, listen, guys, you don't have to choose between life and a wife. You can have both and at the same time. Okay, where you think the grass is greener, there is a septic leak. Okay? It's nasty. Don't go there. Stay home and water your own lawn. Stay home and water your own lawn and enjoy life, pursue life. And young men today, think about this. I know eHarmony and Match.com commercials are set up for the singles, but I want you to think about the man in a frustrated marriage in your church right now watching the eHarmony and Match.com commercials. Life is challenging, his job is struggling, he's not making the money he thinks he needs to make, he's failing as a father, he's failing as a husband, and he sees this twirly couple come onto the screen, and he's like, oh, well, that'd be fun. 
The problem is I'm never going to be able to do it with you. We never took a test. We're not compatible. And in order for, for me to have fun again in life, I'm going to have to find someone new. And this is the message. We have so prioritized compatibility and chemistry. But I, I want to remind you, as you go back and lead out with a beautiful marriage message, painting a beautiful picture of marriage, marriage should be honored by all, meaning it should be esteemed as highly valuable. Every single, every married, every young, every old person in your church should be esteeming marriage as highly valuable and not just prioritizing it in the church, but promoting it and saying it is a good thing. And to prioritize character over compatibility and to tell that man who thinks he, he, who does not believe he can enjoy life without a new wife, to tell him you don't have to choose between life and a wife. You can have both and at the same time. Thank you very much. Oh, man. Um, thank you both. I feel like I'm playing catch with the New York Yankees of, uh, of marriage right now. Um, and one of the things I want you to know, why, why would we do this session? <clears throat> because I have messed this up. That's why. This is personal pain that I want to save you from. And when I told you when I was 29 and I mean, just couldn't know less about anything, I latched on to Gary's book and just kind of, you know, in some of my own just kind of anger and all kinds of stuff, I just took it out on my people. And I can tell you story after story. One of my elders came up to me and he said, hey, John, do you like being married? And I was like, oh, I love it. I love it. He goes, no one else out there knows that. And another friend said, he goes, John, you're hilarious in front of our pre-married crowd. He goes, you are like General Patton up there. You're storming all up and down the stage going, marriage is hard and you're all going to die. He goes, I just don't know that's what you want to be communicating with. And Robert Green, who you'll meet here in a minute, he, he, he told me this story. He said it was in a pre-married setting, John, and you were just giving it to him. You were giving him the Patton. We, we actually called it the Patton speech. Right? I'm going to see if I can weed out the weak ones uh, here and send them, send them back home, which is not a bad thing to do, but I was just, it was, I was all wrong. And, uh, and he said, so after you gave the speech, we turned to the table and, and we began to talk. And, he's, and Robert, he's all his wisdom, you're going to meet him here, he'll, he'll send you out. He just goes, hey, before we talk about that, I just want you to know, Linda and I love being married. And he said one of the girls just began to weep and just put her hand, hands in her head and said, thank you. I wanted to believe that. And because I wasn't being precise, because I wasn't being careful, and I was over, uh, um, overcorrecting some of the issues that I was seeing in culture, I caused damage. And this won't be the last time two ideas are played against each other and we latch onto one to the exclusion of the other and do damage. And I just want to save you from this one that I know about and put this on your radar to be aware of whatever else that is coming. That's why we did this, okay? And um, I blew it. I, I hope you don't. I hope you can walk the wise path that these guys, um, that these guys have. So, um, I mean, do you want to rebut anything? He didn't use any dead guys. No, no. He he's no, not yeah. half as smart as no, you, no, by the way. Yeah, that's the truth. But you're uh, funny. You are I, funny. I just... Not that you're not. I, didn't, I missed what you said. No, no just go. I, I, you know, it, it's obvious. I think it, it was clear how much we agree on, except maybe with, with leading. But 
I really would stress that I think as my wife and I have pursued holiness, we've become happier and happier. And I do think that's Jesus' model when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And, and that's why you know, I, I was totally with Ted when he said, seek both but prioritize holiness because I do think that's the, the gateway to happiness. Uh, I, I think I could have stated it better in Sacred Marriage. We've rewritten it. It's coming out in a couple months where I've, I, I've tried to be careful for that. The other thing I was very regretful of is when Sacred Marriage was used to keep abused women mm-hmm. in the marriage. That wasn't you, that was, I, I didn't you. anticipate that at all, that and that was horrifying to me. But, um, so I'm, I'm glad to have sessions like this where we can address yeah. that. And that's the limitations of books when you can't do the give and take. Yeah. It's good. How people interpret it. Both of you are communicators. Um, any, any other just thoughts on how you communicate, um, you know, this fine line, both sides in your church? And both of you communicate a lot in your churches. Um, just to lead your people pastorally um, through this. Any, any other thoughts so they can, um, they can say both well and, uh, and bless their people? Yeah. I, we, when we do marriage messages at our church, we, we ask every teacher or preacher who's there, because we have a lot of on our teaching team, and one of our teaching pastors is here with us this week. We, we want to hit three people in the congregation, and this hits everybody in the congregation. We want to talk to singles, we want to talk to spouses, and we want to talk to parents. So we talk about marriage once a month at our church, and, and you know, when we started, it was direct to couple. Each message on marriage was direct to couple, and then the next year, we kind of took a parenting turn, and we took all the marriage content, and it was about relationship formation to go home and teach your tween and your teen and your elementary student all of this compatibility, chemistry, character, you know, and how to bring that in and form healthy relationships. And now, you know, we're, we're speaking even more to singles uh, on the advocacy of, you know, even what to say and do when your friend comes to tell you, hey, we're getting married, how to respond to that. And so I just, there's, there's, it's not just a crisis message. And I drive by churches that I don't even stop and I see them advertising a, a marriage series. And I'm like, I'm just thinking of the the unchurched driving by that, seeing the title and be like, ooh, I'm not good. That is dangerous territory to just really think through titles and series. It's good. It's really good. How, you would, how would you frame yeah. those for everyone? I, I, had, I hadn't thought about that until you said that. It was, I think it was really, really helpful. So, Gary, any thoughts I, on I that? would stress, because what, what he said was great, I would stress to realize the biggest communication is that people are watching us when we don't even know. And, and the first step of being involved in marriage ministry is to build your own marriage. When I speak at Second Baptist, it's, it's got a lot of campuses. Traditionally, if I'm in Dr. Young's, he's a senior pastor schedule, I'll, I'll speak Saturday morning at Mothership Campus, Woodway. They drive me to the West Campus, and it's a big campus, and so I'll usually arrive a little bit late. That's closest to our house. Lisa will show up there. And we were in the middle of a worship song when they ushered me in, and then I sat down, and, and Lisa greeted me. Afterwards, a woman came up to me and said, Gary, I can't tell you how God spoke to me before you even preached because I saw you with your daughter. My wife looks freakishly young. She just really does. <laughs> she was working my book table one time and somebody came up to her. I'm not making this up. You must be so proud of your daddy. She said, I am, but he didn't write these books. So lose your hair. She, I mean, anyway. Um, but she goes, just the way that she obviously adored you, the way that you would do anything for her. She goes, it was just something there. And look, they were in the middle of a worship song. I was hoping everybody would be thinking of God and worshiping. We weren't putting on a show. It was just, we were glad to see each other. But 
people are watching. And, and when, when you talked about the woman crying, they're looking for positive stories like that. That can't be faked. I didn't know I was on stage, but I was. You're on stage everywhere you go. You're on stage at the grocery store. You're on stage in front of your kids every day. So I think to communicate the glory of marriage, we have to pursue an intimate marriage. We have to forgive. We have to apply grace. We have to enjoy each other. We have to affirm each other. That's going to be our first form of communication. Yeah, I cannot think of a better way to put a bow on this session. Um, these guys both gave you, were just gracious enough to give you their books. Uh, they're champions for what we're doing in, in different ways. I encourage you to, to kind of track uh, with both of them. They're doing some amazing stuff. But guys, thank you so much. God bless you both. Thank you.